There's a wonderfully revealing quote from the movie High Fidelity starring John Cusack where his character Rob says, It's what you like, not what you are like. Books, films, music, these things matter. And I agree with that. In other words, uh, every person is the sum of their parts, big and small. So with this in mind, Dwight and I thought it would be a hoot to record an episode in which we fill an imaginary time capsule with items that would explain who we are. Uh, We go through a list of 10 categories that are intended to reveal and make transparent who we are as humans, as creative beings, and also as as pop culture junkies. Uh, Things like one book or one song or one of our heroes. Uh, Now, I'm not going to spoil all the categories here, but just know that some true revelations uh, come to the fore in this conversation. And while you're listening to it, think to yourself, what would you put in a you time capsule? Would you limit yourself or would you just pack it all in? Anyway. Thanks for listening to the show. All right, so let me let me lay it out for you, dude. Okay, okay, okay. It's the far-flung distant future. A la Ray Bradbury or uh, Octavia Butler or uh, Isaac Asimov. Uh, let's say it's the year 2022, so it's 200 years in the future. Okay. All right. And, and you and I have long since been dead. You know, we're kaput. We are worm food. Right. We are distant memories right. lost in time like tears and rain. Right. That's it. Oh, nice. Um, so 200 <laughs> years after our deaths, one of our descendants finds a time capsule that we put together to explain who we were. Okay. Uh, it's a collection of items and, you know, that will hopefully convince them that, you know, we weren't just knuckle draggers who were, you know, slaves to our desires and, uh, you know, to con- capitalism and consumerism. Right. Um, that you and I were more than just animated bags of meat moving around in a neon sewer. <laughs> right, right. Um, that we were thoughtful, Dude. creative, inspired, noble, considerate, and interesting human beings. Okay. So more than a disease. More, more than, than a more disease. Than it, like the, the Agent Smith said exactly. It's, it's the stink. The stink. It's the smell. Of. Smell it of a stench <laughs> on my skin. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, the point of this conversation is what would you put in a time capsule that would tell them who you really were? Okay. So, you know, I threw some categories uh, together for, uh, for us to kind of, you know, consider and to. Uh, right. To. Uh, uh, to Cogitate con- over. Yeah, cogitate over. We've got a book, a comic, a TV show, a movie mm-hmm. or a film, a mm-hmm. song, mm-hmm. one of our heroes, mm-hmm. a quote. A piece of art, a -hmm. belief that we hold dear, Mm -hmm. and something that we created and put into the world that we would put into the time capsule. Okay. So, uh, let's start with the first the first category, which is a book. Okay. That would let you know one of your you know distant relatives know who you were, what kind of person you were, what what was inside you and inside your your brain and your mind. Okay. Uh, for me, the book of choice, probably no surprise to you, um, but to others it may be, I may have mentioned it before in the past, is The Prophet by Collot Dubron. Okay. Um, that book is an incredible journey down one man's path to understanding the meaning of life, if you will, um, the very existences of things and existences of things of life, um, love marriage, uh, children, work, um, life, 
death, um, appreciating all those different elements in between that, 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 that encompasses the full life, um, distilled down to bare narrative and, 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 and sentences which make, um, that elevate you and, and, and give you a sense of hope and direction. Hmm. Um, that's where it is. It, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, even more so that I mean, a lot of people go for, toward, towards the, the the Bible as it is, and and the construct of what the Bible is. If you're if you're so inclined, you may not be inclined. You may not be a believer. You may be a skeptic, or whatever the case may be. Um, a lot of people say it's just a simple reference book from a bunch of uh, tired old men, and not even not even one source, but several sources and 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 incongruencies throughout history and all those various things. But this book cannot be denied as such. This book was definitely written by him. It was it was confluence of all his personal um, uh, inequities and iniquities, and but it still told a story which was palpable and believable and and spirit filled. That that means a lot to me. Okay. And it was one of the first books that I ever saw my father read, and he had on his bookshelf, and that I was able to like grasp because it's a, it's a thin book. It may be like. 50, 60, 80 pages at best. And, you know, and it's just full of, of, of you know, uh, aphorisms or, or things could be called aphoristic statements and ideals. Mm-hmm. So what uh, when when was it published and when did you when did you do first read it? Um, I first read it when I was in the eighth grade and I believe it was published in the 70s, 75. Of course, I didn't do the research you asked me to do. No, 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 no. I just, no, that just, just, no, that's fine. That's just, I just wanted to get a sense that, okay, it, you know, it came out while you were still alive. Right, right. But you didn't read it until you were, you know, maybe what, 13? Right. Okay. okay. So, yeah. Yeah. On top of that, it makes, it's a, it's a great, there's just several different um, audiobook translations of it. Mm-hmm. And and one which was written by the, the late great uh, Richard Harris, that had a a soundtrack that swole beneath it like um, some kind of symphonic play um, by by Arif Martin, that late great Arif Martin, who's a, who's a um, a great composer in his own right. Right. And it's just those two combined are just like if I was stuck on an island and I needed some some sustenance, you know. That would be my go-to as far as mm-hmm. reading and, and, and trying to get through life on a daily basis. Richard Harris, was he in the Thornbirds? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Richard Harris. And and he's also um he was also in um in Gladiator. Oh yes, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Great English actor. Yeah, and the musical composer, uh I think it's pronounced Arif Martin. Arif Martin, yeah. Yeah, he was a house producer for a record company. I forget which one, but he produced a lot of Shaka Khan solo records. He produced her bit one of her biggest hits. I feel for you. He produced that. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's that's a, that's a wide gamut of of, of ability there. Yeah, man, yeah, you know? yeah. No, he was he was the truth. He was the absolute truth, and I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. no, I, that I didn't realize that 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 was one of your favorite okay. uh, favorite books, man, and that. It, you know, something that you, you know, you not only your favorite, but that you, you know, you hold dear in a, in a, in a special way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Means a lot to me. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's going to be Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Okay. 
I can see that. I've mentioned it probably a couple times on the show before over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I came to the book after reading Mouse. Okay. Uh, maybe read Mouse when I was 17, 18, 19, something like that. And then, you know, somehow somebody told me about this book and was like, oh. And then I read it. And uh, Victor Frankel, for anyone who doesn't know, he was uh, the, his, the book Man's Search for Meaning um, details his time as a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. Mm-hmm. And he published it in 1946, one year after World War II ended. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really just a really moving experience because, as I mentioned on a previous episode, just, just maybe the last one or the one before, you know, that I, I don't really care for stories about people whose, who's, you know, freedoms are taken away or they're falsely imprisoned. Right. It's just something very un- unnerving and unsettling for me about that. But this book was really moving. Um, you know, he talked about how, you know, people had to really, you know, you think, oh, the meaning of life is all these grand ideas or whatever. And the people mm-hmm. who were in the concentration camp with him, you know, some of them were creatives. You know, they were, you know, chefs and musicians. And the only thing that got them through the day was remembering, you know, how they used to play their instrument and being able to one day play the instrument again. Or, Mm. you know, a chef, you know, trying to remember all of his or her, you know, recipes so that they could cook again. That was the only thing that kept them alive and kept their spirits alive. Wow. That's incredible. Um, And it, yeah, so it was a really moving, and and like, not unlike The Prophet, it's not a super long book. I think I probably read it in a weekend. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, you know, way back, like I said, when I was maybe 18, 19, 20, something like that. Mm-hmm. But it has remained one of my favorite books because it speaks to the idea of, you know, what are we really doing? You know, we we say what we think we're doing, but what are we really doing and why are we really doing it? Right. Um, and that life is made up of, you know, the the monumental and the mundane at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my book. Um, yeah, it's important. It's important to capture those moments too, man. I mean, it's like this. This is a great opportunity for us to discuss these these higher virtue values and things of that nature, and not to be too, you know, um, you know, high, you know, high minded about the situation. But right. it, but it does give us a chance to kind of emote and, and and get those things out and and put them forth so that it could be almost like a a virtual time capsule, if you will, of what we, you know, yeah, yeah, in many ways, in many many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be one comic that you would put in your time capsule? Here we go. Here uh, we go. Is, <laughs> this, this is this is hard too. This is hard too. Okay, but I mean, it it, it kind of just it kind of comes down to what has more had the most impact on me as as an artist, as a as a writer, as a creative, as an emotional being coming into his existence. That made made a kind of impact on me, and it, and it's gonna it's gonna it won't, it'll surprise some people, but it won't but it won't surprise others, and it's um. It's um, it's Morbius Gravis, man, by um, Luteri Paolo Sipieri. Morbius Gravis, man. Okay. Yeah, Morbius Gravis, man. Okay. Um, I came across it at a time. Um, because I mean, it's not, it's a comic, but it's but it's it's it leads towards it's mature in the subject matter. Yeah, but very mature. But it, but it's not just about you know, in spite of people think it's not just about the sex. It's it's a it's a very gritty tale. About, about loss, about expectation, about recovery, 
and about survival. Mm-hmm. And, and, and those things are, are very, are very near and dear to me in terms of expression and, and creativity. And, and the comic encapsulation of it has made it much more desirable, but you know, it's a fantasy, it's a dystopian fantasy. Um, but it's about survival and, and, um, delusion of things too. Like you, she, she thinks she's doing one thing, but she's really doing something else entirely different, you know? Um, and it's, it's like a pre-matrix matrix in a lot of ways, you know? Um, um, and the illustration, of course, is absolutely gorgeous. It's by Sarah Pieri. And when the, I mean, it could have leaned more towards any kind of other, like mainstream comic, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact we had to take it out of the series place, out of, out of a series, that, that, that kind of narrowed it down for me considerably. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I didn't want to go like towards the, the status quo of what I thought was like mainstream comics. And not just for that purpose, man. I, I, this is what I what came to mind is like what what do I see in my bookshelf? But this is that's what, exactly what yeah, that's exactly what I what I was intending was is not necessarily to overthink it, but to just go with your instinct, which is yeah, uh, you know something mainstream wouldn't really you know wouldn't really speak for you know for who you are you know to some extent you know what I mean mm. as much as you love mm. the X Men and other things right it just wouldn't really be it. You know, wouldn't that wouldn't open you up and be something that you be an example of something that opened you up, right? Um, so I'm not surprised by that at all. And I was surprised by because when, when I got it, I got it as part of um, Heavy Metal uh, back in around '87, mm-hmm. and around that time, also as a compendium, I listened. I want more. He read that. Listen to um, the Brazilian by by uh, Genesis, and it just man, and it just. Mind blown, man! Just it's mind blown. It's uh, totally immersed in the and in the, in the, everything that was going on in, in the sound as well as the you know as well as the the the, the, the visuals. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, that's what it was for me. Okay. What about you? Uh, I'm gonna say the death of Captain Marvel. Mm hmm. By Jim Starlin. Um, mm hmm. And you know that came out when I was about 16 years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a teenager, but even then, you know, I probably felt like I had read an awful lot of comics and there wasn't a lot that could really surprise me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this was a tale that surprised me because it was, you know, Marvel's uh, diagnosis and then his mm-hmm. body starting. Marvel's. Marvel's. Mar- Mar- Marvel, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I, I stand corrected. Uh, happily corrected. Uh, Marvell's, you know, diagnosis and then, you know, his body starting to deteriorate and to succumb to the disease and how tenderly and gen- and genuinely it was handled. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the fact that, you know, you know, um, you know, Marvell didn't go out in, in a cosmic blaze of glory. Mm-hmm. You know, he went out like many of us go out, you know, and I've lost, you know, and had many people, you know, in my family and people I've known, you know, to, uh, to die from cancer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my father's a a cancer survivor, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, it was just a really moving tale, you know, and especially most especially was the part at the end when, you know, all of the, uh, the Avengers and all the heroes have come, you know, to, to be by his bedside. And then out of the shadows steps Thanos, mm-hmm. you know, the avatar of death, you know, the, the Titan, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, to Marvel, he says, you know, I couldn't, you know, 
let you, you know, pass away without telling you, you know, what a great champion you were. And, you know, in all of the battles that we had and all the times we faced each other, you know, I couldn't let you go out and let, and let without letting you know, you know, that it was an honor to have faced you, you know, mano a mano. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was just really, really moving. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Starlin did that, man. Yeah. Yeah. He he, <laughs> he fucked me up with that, man. And, uh, and, you know, The Death of Captain Marvel is one of the first graphic novels. It may be the first graphic novel. I'm not sure. I think it is the first. Um, technically speaking, on yeah, Marvel side. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in the sense of someone putting it together and packaging it as a graphic novel, not as a comic, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that would be the one. That would be the one. And um, and I think it was just, you know, it was definitely Starlin um, firing on all cylinders and really mm-hmm. doing everything that he does well, you know, the art and the writing and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Starlin mm-hmm. for me was one of the early, early writer artists that I was really drawn to who's working in mainstream comics, you know, not like a cartoonist, like a Charles Schultz right. or a, a Bill Keen or, um, you know, someone like that. But, you know, in mainstream comics, you know, he was a writer and an artist equally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. So, and he and he has a he has a profound sense of pacing, understanding of of that because of what his father went through as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and it goes throughout. He has a thing, and people laugh when when they say this, but he has he kind of had a thing for death, at least exercising that through his his artistic uh, execution for a long period of time. That was what he was all about. I think after know? that, didn't he do the death of Robin, uh, a funeral, in, a, a funeral in the family, or? I don't know if it was directly after that, but my, I seem to recall like um. The well, not directly Odyssey. after it, but he wrote. He didn't he write it and uh, I forget who who drew it. Was it Bernie Wrightson? A death in the family. It might have been. Might have been that. Might have been that. That's beyond. Yeah, that's what might be on my scope. Yeah. Because I, I went. I went back to his cosmic stuff. Went to went to his um his Metamorphosis Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. know where and he was how he was doing the the whole thing with with Dreadstar and, and brought that into into being and yeah yeah so yeah. yeah. Great choice, man. Oh, thank you, sir. What would be your television mm-hmm. show, man? Oh. <laughs> well, I love Lucy, yo. <laughs> no, Carol Burnett no, no, show. No, no, no. This, no, no, no. These, this, these, these next two are probably kind of predictable, um, but maybe not so much for this one because people don't really know that much about what I liked as a kid. But you know, um, Star Blazers, yo. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was my shit, yo. Yeah. <laughs> that was my shit. <laughs> I mean, again, that 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 um, dystopic quest to to save something, you know, and is it, you know, and how um, and how uh, bleak something seems in the beginning, and it's really bleak the entire journey, and and how you're how everything you do is is right on the razor's edge of being disastrous, mm-hmm. or or potentially go your way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's that's what that's what Starblaze uh, exemplifies for me, and you know it was a time when when in the eighties when, of course, it's only on TV, and it was it was you had to sit your butt in front of the TV and watch it and watch consistently. It. Yeah, because if you miss one episode, you miss something that was really really like like poignant and and needed to make everything complete. Right. The funny thing too with that is is you know as organized fandom started to grow in the eighties. 
you if you were, you know, someone who, you know, we were pretty young, but you know, if you went to a comic convention, you could find people who had VHSs. Right. Of Star Blazers and uh, uh Battle of the Planets and uh Ultraman and things like that that normally it's like, okay, if you're not there at three thirty to watch it, it's you're just not gonna see it. Fuck it. That's it. That's <laughs> it. That's it. That's it. And it was uh, according to that, according to fandom at that time, it was called Space Cruiser Yamato. Still is Space Cruiser Yamato. Yeah. But I mean, for 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 our you know Americanized version, it was it was you know um, Star Blazers. Right. And they they did the impossible. Like they took a, they took a, a theme which was which was sung originally in, Jap- in Japanese and and changed it to an American version. American version is I mean, from what I can tell, I'm not speak Japanese. It's, it's very much like like it's not like a watered down version of it. It's very much a celebratory mm-hmm. execution of, of what the of what they um, what the what the story means, what they're overcoming. And you know, we're for many seasons and I was there for every every season I could see on television and I of course when I went to conventions like Swain said, I would actively seek out people in the Japanese animation room mm-hmm. before it became before it became anime, it was Japanese animation room, you know. So, you know, um, and you go there and you sit down there for hours listening, listening to and watching for the subtleties and differences and what was the aired version on that, on American television versus Japanese television. Mm-hmm. And while there were certain subtleties that were there, for the most part, it was pretty much lock and step, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Unlike one of my other favorites at the time, Battle of Planets, which became G-Force and all these other things in various versions. And originally, Ninja Science Gachamon, right? Ninja, Sci- Ninja Science Team Gachamon. They, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't keep it. They didn't keep the, the... They couldn't keep it because there was too much profanity going on in Ninja Science Team Gachamon. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, they had to break that up. But um, yeah. Anyway, that's another conversation from another time. But yeah, definitely. Star Blazers was my, was my joint, man. Okay. Uh, for me, man, it's going to be... Star Trek the original series. Okay. Absolutely okay. no surprise. <laughs> nice, nice. Gene Roddenberry, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh It was just something magical about a low budget sci-fi show. Uh you know, and really it was a bunch of, you know, kind of morality tales and these kinds of comment, you know, commentaries on, you know, uh society and, you know, you know societal issues and policy politi- politics and you know life and death and and again you know what really drives a person you know mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. you know jealousy and envy and ego and all of these things and they were all masquerading as a low budget science fiction television show and i just fell in love with it immediately um mm-hmm. you know all of the uh the bad special effects and uh, you know, so yeah, yeah, and uh, you know the uh, the weird, you know, the weird uh, vocal cadence of William Shatner, which was not a put on. It was not thing. at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know the kind of uh, you know, cool-eyed, you know, uh, emotionless Spock. Mm-hmm. You know the the always annoyed and uh, and, and 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 irritated, you know, Bones. Yeah, DeForest Kelly, sir. Um, you know, and just just everything about it, I just loved it. And mm-hmm. um, you know, some episodes were greater and better than others, and some you know some were some were really outstanding, and some you know uh, fell short of the uh, of the of the mark. But you know, it ran mm-hmm. for three years in the late sixties, and I just loved it, man. You know, it came out mm-hmm. the show was the show was launched the year I was born, so okay, okay. Uh, I feel like in some ways maybe. You know, uh, I was Kis- destined. Kismet. Right? Yeah, it was right, kismet. Exactly. You know, I don't really, I don't normally <laughs> believe in kismet or uh, right. uh, any kind of uh, 
uh, serendipity or whatever, but you know, right, right. Uh, yeah. But I do, I do feel it with uh, with Star Trek, and I feel like you know, if some someone looks at that to some extent, they will get a sense of who I, who I was, and uh, and 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 who I hope to be, maybe even as a, uh, um, you know, as a uh, as a person, and uh, and, and and the ideals of Star Trek, you know, and the influence that had on me, you know, the idea of of a future that where we could work together, and that you know we would collaborate, and that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the things that normally kept us separate, you know, would draw us together. I just loved it, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And see, that that's just a lot about your character, who you were uh, even then, man. Um, because, you know, that those those aren't necessarily the sexiest ideals for, for, for a child go, for going through his youth into becoming a, a young a teenager to becoming a man. Mm-hmm. Um, the sexier is Star Wars because it's flash, bang, boom, ooh, ah, ah, ooh. On the sub, on the subtext. I mean, on the, on the over front of it, on the front of it is where it is. But mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, I think it shows that you that you were um, a feeling and caring and lofty individual to some degree, even then. Not not lofty in the, in the pretentious sense either, but in the, in the thought provoking sense. Oh, thank you, sir. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I get it. And trust me, now even now as I watch like as I watch Disney Channel's Star Wars television series versus Paramount's Star Trek version. And the intellectual properties inside of, inside of Star Trek's version, mm-hmm. it's 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 as different as night and day. Star Trek by far is a more profound intellectual series. Discovery is a profound more profound intellectual series than, than Star Wars, Disney is, and that's not by that's not by that's not by happenstance. It's not, and I wouldn't say that's not a put down on George Lucas either. That's just saying that what Roddenberry created during that time period for that time. Uh, was 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 profound and, and and engaging. I mean, the first interracial kiss on television, yeah, was was Uhura and 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 and, and well, Shatner. Te- but uh, technically, it wasn't. But it wasn't. And no, and I found out later. I think uh, our our friend Ralph Ralph mentioned it uh, to me online that uh, technically, it might have been like the Rifleman. There was a western where the uh, the gunslinger kisses a uh, a Filipino actor. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's actually the first one. But I mean, this is the the first big one in prime time. You know, like eight o'clock at you know in the uh, in the evening. I think. Right. Right. Um. You know, when Star Trek came on. So. And in, ter- in terms of bigotry, how it's affected the American society, it's, it's it was more profound for uh, a, a white man to be kissing a black woman than it was for say a, a Native American a Filipino to kiss a a, a Western a, a, a white situation. yeah white person yeah exactly exactly based on how dichotomous it's based on how dichotomous we were back then during you know the seventies and sixties you write about so, that. But yeah. go Ralph. <laughs> Uh, a film. Mm. What would be I mean, a good film for you to put in your time <laughs> capsule? I mean, you know, as as embarrassingly simple as this is, it's it's Star Wars: New Hope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yo. Star Wars: New, New Hope, man. I mean, you know, sometimes you don't want to overthink it, yo. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's Star Wars: New Hope, man. I mean, I, I could say I could say Alien. I could say Blade Runner. I could say a number of different things, um, but. Honestly, at, at the foreign of age that I was at, it was the target. It was a target zone for me. It was perfect. I can even say Logan's Run, but in terms of like you know the quotables and the 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 overall encapsulation of 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 dark and light 
in these in, in such a in such a crystalline manner that this this movie presented. It was obviously Darth Vader was a bad guy, Luke Skywalker was a good guy, Ben Kenobi was a good guy. You know, um, Han Solo was questionable. <laughs> right, he's in between. He was, he was a great he was a great guy. You know, there was it was you know it was a, it was a typical formula that you could find in any any serial western and any kind of old fashioned you know uh, Saturday morning what 40s 50s 60s western that lucas grew up on mm-hmm. you know and it worked formulaic as it was it worked and and and, and it was of course you know buttressed by by uh by greg campbell by greg campbell by by uh joseph campbell mm-hmm. and you know his ideals and you know it just it just sung to me i mean it was and not to mention like you said without that sound bed and the choices that george made for a director, I mean, for 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 a a, a composer and John Williams, yeah, and without without James Jones, James Earl Jones carrying Vader, it would not have been it would not have been the same film, at all. And then the brilliant choices of of friggin of, of all I mean all the people he he brought together the ILM man Ben Burt, um you know um uh, all the all the art heads that were in it um the the uh, oh, what's his name I forget passed away when i wanted to interview him oh uh, uh ralph mcquarrie ralph mcquarrie ralph mcquarrie and 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 um uh even the guy that directs films now that was still as part of the design team that i i overlook from time to time that directed um the first captain america film oh jo- uh, joe johnston joe johnston mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i mean without the i mean that, that was just a, a a critical point for me man in terms of okay this is my genre i'm in you know, this is what this is what I respond to. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is what I, I want to see. This is what I aspire to be as as a human being, from the farm boy in Tatooine to the hero in outer space. You know, um, that that whole that whole thing. Um, you know, um, and what what more can be said about Star Wars? Man, there's so much to be said about it. I mean, yeah, it 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 took it took. It, it lionized the industry. I mean, it, it gave us the industry we now have. I mean, ILM is responsible for all this shit, you know? Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's where I'll leave it because I can go on and on and on about it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, I mean, it makes perfect sense because it did have a profound effect on you as a kid, you know, and you've talked about it on and off the mic. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been a lifelong fan. It's by far the most successful franchise in the history of uh, modern film, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, and successful creatively and commercially. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there've mm-hmm. been some some stinkers and some misses in there in terms of you know uh, sequels and prequels and so forth. But just in general, I mean, you know, for something like that to still resonate, not only with you know, middle-aged guys like ourselves, but, you know, a teenager, a 17-year-old like my daughter, you know, who's very excited for the Kenobi TV show. Yes. You know. Um, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's just, you know, it just it just says a lot about, you know, you know what one can do uh, with a film and, and, and you know, where it, where it can go and, and just the power of cinema, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to reach inside our hearts and minds and to, uh, you know, to, to you know, you know, to wrap us up, you know, in what's mm-hmm. going on. So, uh, I feel you there. I'm going to, I'm going to take a left turn in terms of a film that I would put in my time capsule. Okay. Okay. Good. And I'm going to put in, uh, Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Wow. Uh, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Pink. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Pink, Mr. Brown, Mr. Orange, Mr. Brown's a little too close to Mr. Shit. 
Uh, (laughs) But, you know, it's a film that came out in the 90s. It kind of represented like a new a new wave in terms of filmmaking. Um, You know, Tarantino's first film in terms of, you know, him writing and directing. He had actually sold True Mm -hmm. Romance and that came out, I think, maybe or he sold it, I think, right before he got the money to do Reservoir Dogs. Okay. But I remember seeing it, you know, this is during the era of VHS. Mm-hmm. And I remember taping it and, and having my, a copy of it in my collection. Um, and it was just new. You know, it was just like nobody talked like that in movies that I had Mm-mm. ever seen. Um, I was clearly aware that the person who wrote the movie was a pop culture person and that I was and that, you know, he quoted other movies and other pop culture references in his mm-hmm. You know, his speak with his friends and the people he knew. Right. Um, right. You know, the the characters were something I had never seen before. Uh, and yet they were familiar because, you know, it was gangsters and criminals and crime fiction. Yeah, very, very, very gritty. Very gritty. And, and, and yeah, noir. To uh, <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, and even, you know, like a lot of those actors, I wasn't super familiar with and became familiar with them and, 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 and you know, uh, with them much later, like, you know, Tim Roth, mm-hmm. um, with, uh, uh, Chris Penn, Sean Penn's brother, you know, who I had seen in at close range, but you know, he gained a lot of weight and he was, you know, he's much older. He was, you know, 10, 12 years older by the time Reservoir Dogs came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but Harvey Keitel, I was kind of vaguely familiar with from like, uh, uh, was Har- I think Harvey Keitel was in Mean Streets, uh, Martin Scorsese's Mean Streets. No, he was in uh, Taxi Driver. He plays a pimp in Taxi Driver. That's okay, what it is. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, he plays a pimp in Taxi <laughs> Driver. Um, but the rest of them, you know, Michael Madsen, uh, just a, just an incredible ensemble cast, very simple, almost like a play. It all takes place in mostly one room. And I just remember thinking, damn, this is, this is something new. This is something different. Yeah, it was gritty as hell. Yeah, and it just and it put me on a path to being, you know, a pretty much a a lifelong uh, Tarantino fan, uh, for the most part. You know, again, you know, mm. they can't all be gems, you know. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think if someone wanted to, you know, were to look at that film, they would get some sense of, you know, you know where my interests lie in terms of crime fiction, uh, gritty kind of seventy style drama. One of the the cool things that's been said about Reservoir Dogs is it looks like the 50s mm-hmm. but the filmmaking is like the 70s and yet mm-hmm. it takes place in the 90s mm-hmm. and it has references to the 80s with that whole Madonna thing you know at the uh, at the uh, breakfast table where he's talking about breaking down like a virgin so right um but it's 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 just an interesting film and and like I said you know uh, not one that I would normally mention as as a favorite per se, but it is something where I, when I thought back, I was like, well, yeah, that's one that really changed me mm-hmm. uh, uh, in terms of my love for film and really made me think, okay, I think my me, I'm kind of a cinephile in a way, mm-hmm. you know? So, and, and Mary, I haven't watched it in a long time, man. And so it was, wasn't black. It was black and white, right? No, no, no. They wore the black and white suits, but it was, it was shot in color. Okay. Well, I don't think it's like black and white. Cause there was a, there was a point I think maybe where, um, one of the guys is interrogating a police officer, and they're cutting like his ear off, or, or yeah, it's still shot in color, but okay, okay. <laughs> now here's here's where it gets tough. Okay, a song, one song. Yeah, yeah, one song, yo. 
Oh, you throw it to me first? Yeah, oh, yeah, you go first yeah, on this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's a three-way tie, but I, I, I give highest marks to the one that I just want to mention the other, other two as well, um, because it's 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 hard it's hard to distill. Okay, so so one is your choice, but you're gonna you're gonna you want to talk about your honorable mentions. Okay, I got you. Okay, yeah, exactly. So number three. And it's really hard to say. Well, this no, 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 I, I no. What, what is your number one? And then we'll just talk about the honorable mentions. What is what is your pick to All put right. in your time capsule? One song. One song. Um, the cover for Simon and Garfunkel's "The Sound of Silence" by Disturbed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, you and I talked about that last year. Yeah, yeah. That song, man. That song is absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely thought provoking. Absolutely soul jerking, and, and and it just, you know, it's 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 morose. It's dark, but it's elevating all at the same time, and it's majestic, man. Mm-hmm. It, it just has. I mean, Simon Garfunkel's was 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 great and 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 irreplaceable, you know. But the fact that someone could take something like that and 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 almost like almost like like elevate to the next level. Um, and 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 make you think about the concepts in a different in a different way, more urgent way. Just says how 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 incredible it is. Mm. Um, I mean, it just it just surges with all kinds of of emotion, man. You know, the, the, of course, the meme is where <laughs> the meme given was before they did their version was with um, Ben Affleck. <laughs> Ben Affleck and he was you know, a little darkness my old friend looking real close that, oh that meme yeah 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 <laughs> him smoking a cigarette and, fe- and looking kind yeah, of defeated yeah yeah <laughs> and it's hilarious but but to see to see the lead singer uh, Dave Dave Draymond um, um, like like do it on Conan O'Brien. Like there's two versions of it. There's the main version, the LP version, of course. Mm-hmm. But that 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 Conan O'Brien performance he did was just like some majestic, like Thanos, you know, you know, spewing like 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 magnificence, man. Mm-hmm. It's mind blowing. I mean, you know, because because anybody knows anything about the group Disturbed, um, they're very much a was quote unquote a heavy metal band, you know. And, and and he brings these different levels out of him. You didn't know he, he, that he had, you know. And as he starts really slow and soft, and the and the piano is really, 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 really slow and elegant, and the, the timpani the timpani drums are playing, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's like there's this rise, and he, and he changes with the current of the song, and and the music, and it's just like it just it just goes to this this whole level of 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 of, of human complexity that just it's mind blowing, mind blowing. I mean, if you haven't if you haven't watched it, look up, look up, disturbed, sound of silence, and it's you know what it is. This this, this is how profound it is. This is how this is how duplicitous, um, unnecessary to be duplicitous actually on 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 um, on YouTube to get any kind of viewing. It's probably the most single viewed t- uh, video on YouTube is that because you you can get there's these things called reaction videos, and you can get reactions from people by watching this video and getting them to tune into your stuff or watching this video. Right. And um, yeah, so everybody, everybody has their own take on it and listen to it and they talk about it and things of that nature. And it's the way that people lead you into your channel. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's excellent, man. Um, it's godlike. It's godlike, you know, um, that's, that's how, that's how much I, 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 the pedals I put it on. Hello. 
darkness, my own friend. I've come to talk with you again because a vision softly creeping left it seems it was hard because the next two that are honorable mentions of course are are, are um Depeche Mode's Policy of Truth mm-hmm. and you know you know how I feel about that man you know you should be so different now you're being so civilized you will always wonder how it could have been if you only lied yeah man so yeah Depeche Mode wow 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 yeah yo you know that's yeah that's doing things to my head yo <laughs> yeah you know yeah it's too late to change events it's time to face the consequence of believing in your youth and the policy of truth what 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 man yeah yo <laughs> you know so to put that song above that that tells you something about where 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 I where I am um with that mm-hmm. and then uh last two um Crazy by Seal, you know. Okay. Amanda Amanda signs after 14 years. What he goes there for is to lock the door. You know, come on, man. Right. You know. In a sky full of people, only some born to fly. Isn't that crazy? Right. Through a fractal on that breaking wall, I see you, my yes, friend, and yo. touch your face again. <laughs> yes, yo. Yeah. Yes, yo. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was hard. And then, of course, uh, the last but not least, uh, Future Love Paradise. Okay. Another Seal song. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So yeah. But if only yeah. you could see them. I I feel you, man. I feel you. Um, I'll say this, uh, and it was tough for me too with the songs because I was all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just going by gut instinct. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in terms for me, the song I'm going to put in the capsule is a song called "Don't Explain" by uh, Nina Simone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. It was written by Billie Holiday, but Nina Simone recorded the version that I prefer. Okay. And in her version is very still, very eerie, mm. uh, very uh, unnerving and discordant. Mm. Mm. Don't Explain is basically about a, uh, a person, a woman character, let's say, who is uh, who's, who her man has left her and has cheated on her, and he left. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, things didn't go the way he wanted with the other woman, so he came back. Mm. And she took him back, and she took him back, you know, knowing, you know, what had happened and what he had done and that he had abandoned her for this other person. And, you know, so there's the refrain is, you know, don't explain. There's nothing to gain. Uh, I'm just glad that you're back. You, You can skip all the explanations. You don't have to tell me, you know, you don't have to make up any lies. You know, just just don't explain. You know, just don't say anything. Wow. And it's really, 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 uh, it's beautiful, but it is just absolutely eerie. Uh, because you almost get the sense that the minute he goes to sleep, he's going to catch the hot grits, yo. He's going to catch them hot scalding grits, yo. Yeah, yo. <laughs> He's gonna get the Al Green treatment, yo. <laughs> yeah, yo. <laughs> wow. But you know, for me, also too, man. Honorable mentions would have been um, uh, oddly enough, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. They have a song called uh, "For Emily." Whenever I may find her. Okay. Wow. 
you know, always brings me to tears every single time. It's not a a, a big known hit. Mm. Um, that was one I thought about. Um, the song Something by the Beatles, which was written by George Harrison. Okay. Yeah, something in the way she moves. Oh, yeah. Attracts me like no other lover. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go with Nina Simone's Don't Explain. And it's a very mature adult song, too. Uh, you know, it's yeah, this is some grown folk shit here. This is not right, like, right, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hush now Don't explain There ain't nothing to gain I'm glad that you're back Explain. So here's here's one a category, and we haven't talked about this much, but I wanted to throw this out as part of the the times capsule because I think it's an interesting thing to think about, and that's mm-hmm. you know uh, one of your heroes putting one of your heroes in your time capsule. You know, it's not often that we have you know heroes that we can point to, you know, and the, and the one caveat for this was it can't be your parent, right, right. You know, that's just too easy. You know. My dad, oh, okay, oh, really? Okay, your dad? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, Jesus is your hero? Is that really, is that? Okay, how, <laughs> how interesting is that? No, 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 what you gotta do is that, like, like, a, like um, Jesus is your fucking hero! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David Lynch voice, but... <laughs> we don't oftentimes have heroes. A lot of times we don't have living heroes, for sure. Right. You know, for for a long time, you know, uh, and still is, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson was, you know, one of my intellectual heroes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, this is this is guy's an astrophysicist. He's in a very exclusive club in terms of, you know, you know, his uh, his esteem and his place in, in the scientific community. Mm-hmm. You know, really smart, really well spoken, knows his shit, has the, uh, you know, the respect of his peers. Um, you know, he, he speaks to the world in the same way that, uh, you know, that. um uh, Carl Sagan did, you know, back in the day, you know, yes. um, you know, making science available, you know, to the masses. And um, but, you know, we just oftentimes don't have heroes. So I wanted to, you to put one of your heroes in your time capsule. Who would it, who would it be, man? Well, I mean, I had I had it because I was trying to figure out, OK, so it couldn't, it couldn't be a parent, which I was going to be as simple as that. But I, I almost went with my uncle, but I didn't want to go there because that was a little too personal. Um, so I went with, you know, a personality, which I know very little about, but I mean, at the same time, I, 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 I've, I've watched this person over a period of years and, 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 uh, and they always, even though I may, I may disagree with some of their decisions as far as what they did, they took something that was from nothing and built an empire and built and built modern cinema. And I'm referring to none other than George Lucas, man. Okay. I mean, George Lucas, you know, like him, hate him. Despite of what he, I mean, whatever you want to call it, he is what he was the easy epitome of an independent filmmaker, one of the first independent filmmakers that that, that made it big to me. Mm-hmm. And you know, you may not like what happened in some of the iterations of his Star Wars, but damn it, it was his shit. He could do the fuck he wants to do with it until he gave it to Disney. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, he had a vision. He may have lost it through time. He may have. Well, not he may, may have deviated from what the original vision was, 
names changed, Star Killers, Skywalkers, etc., etc. Darth Vader's, Han Solo's, Chewbacca's, etc., etc. But this man, I mean, he took he took a little bit of talent, like you like to say. I like that. It's awesome because it was a lot of talent, obviously. Mm-hmm. But he took a thimbleful of talent and he turns an empire. And arguably, to me, man, he's the modern day of Walt Disney. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because you go anywhere <clears throat> in this world, people know who Mickey Mouse is. They know who, you know, uh, various other characters are uh, that that Walt Walt created. They also know who they also know who they also know who Darth Vader is. They also know who is who who um, uh, Luke Skywalker is. They also know what the Millennium Falcon looks like. You know, they know what Tie Fighters are. They know what R two D two and C three people look like. You know, yeah. So. He's a, he's established a, a, a an empire, you know, so to speak. Pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Pun intended. That 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 is just just it's going to outlast him. It's going to outlive him, mm-hmm. and even to the point to where, in you know, it's been subsumed by the Disney empire because they knew what they had when they bought it. You know, they knew they saw the potential that, that he was only be only that the the the, end, the beginning of scratching. That they taken and gone with and turn into more palpable, more relatable, current, you know, um, fiction, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, like you said, Skyler. I mean, next generation of, of 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 devotees. Yeah, you know, are connecting to this stuff, man, and everybody's been affected by it. I mean, every every everybody across, you know, a lot like. Arguably a lot like Star Trek, people people that are are, are trek, trekkies versus versus worries. I don't know why I just, I just kind of made that worries? up. Worries? Worries, yo. What's the worry? Star Wars worries, yo. It's <laughs> trekkies <laughs> worries. Is that a, is that a term? Is that a thing? No, I just made that shit up. Oh, okay. No, it's not. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, where have I been? I've never heard that before. Okay, <laughs> with good reason. Go ahead. <laughs> right, exactly. But, but Trekkies versus versus Star Trek guys. Yeah. You know, you know the two don't usually meet, meet in the center, but as you get to be older, you start to see there's more there's more to be um reconciled in terms of ideals that that, that you know have been set forth by Roddenberry and by Lucas that that you, that you need to take in consideration. And um okay. you know, the the better parts of what, what, what George Lucas had to offer to me and why I, I, I can somewhat lionize him as a hero is because I've watched how he carried himself out through his career, throughout his career, uncompromisingly carrying himself out through his career. You know, always sticking to what he thought was the best version of Star Wars. He may have taken his time getting there. He may have reworked some things that didn't need to be reworked by uh, to us. But him, he's looking for a very particular vision, and that I admire that, and that's why he's my hero of choice. Gotcha, gotcha. For me, man, it's gonna be Ruby Bridges. Ruby Bridges, okay, yeah. Uh, Ruby Bridges, at the age of six years old, uh, integrated a uh, an elementary school in New Orleans in 1960. Okay. Uh, and she and her mother had to be escorted by federal, you know, agents and and oh, protection. That Ruby Bridges. Okay. Yeah. 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 Wow. And walked into the school, and I mean, literally, there's a you know, there's a, a you know, near bloodthirsty mob of uh, mm-hmm. you know people there, you know. Uh, protesting, you know, the integration of the school, you know, spitting and cursing and throwing, spitting shit, and know. cursing and threatening, and yeah, um, you know, the whole scene just could have gone crazy. And I don't honestly, I don't know if maybe if Ruby is really my hero, 
or if maybe her mom and her dad, her mom Lucille is the one that walked her in, you know, and her dad, you know, they, they, you know, they feared for her safety and at the, you know, and there were some other students that were supposed to integrate too, but they just went to their normal school Mm. or they went to another school. But, you know, this was a really big deal. It was uh, William France Elementary School in New Orleans in 1960. Mm. Um, And there's a very famous painting by, uh, by uh, Norman Rockwell mm-hmm. uh, of Ruby, you know, making that walk into the school mm-hmm. and uh, and kind of, you know, capturing it in a very iconic way. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, she she's somebody that I would consider to be a hero because, you know, now being a parent myself and having a daughter, I don't know that I would have the bravery and the courage to send my daughter literally into the lion's den in that way, not knowing if, you know, if she would be harmed or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a hell of a chance, man. That's a hell of a chance. Yeah. But you're right. You're right. I mean, yeah, you're right. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I, I'm, you know, wow. You definitely took, <laughs> you definitely took a, a interesting turn with that one, man. Um, yeah, I, I, I yeah, definitely needs to be lionized. Definitely needs to be put into a capsule to say, okay, this is, this is the kind of, this is kind of courage and kind of of person you want to have be exemplary of, of what humanity can be and how to, how to, how courage rises above racism and right. And other, other situations. So, yeah. 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 Well done, sir. Um, what would be a quote <clears throat> that you would put in your time capsule? Um, two, but <laughs> okay. you have to pick one. <laughs> Which one are you picking? Okay. Okay, I'll give them. I'll give them one I chose, and then I'll give them one afterwards. You know, okay, okay. One I chose, of course, in similar vein, <clears throat> is um, do or do not. There is no try, by Master Yoda. Okay, come on. I mean, that's the that's the equivalent of Nike's just do it. You know, that's the equivalent of 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 a person taking the ch- taking the opportunity to do what's necessary to get something done and not doubting themselves. You know, you just just do it. You know, just do it. You may fail at it. They didn't say this thing. Yoda didn't say you wouldn't fail. He just said do or do not. <laughs> There's no try. Mm-hmm. You know, failure was was never really an option according to according to Luke's Jedi training because they were relying on to be the next wave of of, of Jedi to bring things back to a balance. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the situation is he could fucking fail, and actually he kind of did multiple times. Right. So you know, but it wasn't for lack of trying. You know, so to me, it's it's as simple as that. I mean, and, and of course, those that kind of that kind of idealism has has its roots in Buddhism, and 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 Zen and things of that nature too. That's where a lot of it was taken from, and it may seem kind of Pollyannish to a lot of people. You know, you know, oh yes, it's the it's the best thing. Well, that's yeah. what I was going to ask you because I mean, the reality is, and that's why I was kind of pushed back a little bit on that as a, as an uh, as a as a creed of any kind or an instruction because mm-hmm. you know, anytime you're doing something, you're still trying. Right. Like, you you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, well, don't try. Well, wait, wait a minute. What do you, what does that mean? And, you know, but I know what you're saying when you, you know, when you, you know, what you said a minute ago, where you're saying it's more like, don't talk about it and don't uh, meander and don't self doubt. Mm-hmm. Do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just, just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big, you know, if you don't succeed, try and try again person, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that as a, uh, as a creed or as a, you know, as, as an, uh, you know, as a philosophy to approach, right. you know, problem solving or challenges or hurdles or what have you. But, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but Master Yoda, you know, hey, he's Master Yoda. What what, what can we say? Right. <laughs> right, right. 
right? Right? Uh, and then the, then the honorable mention is, uh, this is a funny one. Conan, what is the meaning of life? Uh, <laughs> sir, I just I just sent that to my buddy Damien. Right. And I told him, as I get older, this is all I want for my enemies. I want to see to, to crush my enemies, to see them driven before me, and to hear the lamentation of the women. Lamentation of the women. <laughs> That's what I want in the future. I want to see my enemies crushed. Yeah, 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 yeah. And driven before me. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. That's it. You know. More than anything. Uh, my quote is going to be, and this is from uh, William Butler Yeats. Uh, he had a, he wrote mm. a poem back in 1899 called "He Wishes for the Cloths of Heaven," and oddly enough, my buddy Damien is the one who turned me on to this. Okay, but the quote from the poem is: "Is but I, being poor, have only my dreams. I spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly, because you tread on my dreams." Mm. Um, and it's just something I always thought it was just it sounded dope to me. But, you know, just this idea that, you know, uh, as you begin to reach out and connect to another person, be it romantically or platonically, what have you, is that you open yourself up, that you make yourself transparent to them. You stand naked before them at some point. If if your relationship is going to deepen in any meaningful way, you're going to stand naked in front of them, you know, figuratively speaking, maybe even literally, you know. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the idea that, you know... Um, you know, I don't have much, but that which I, de- you know, I desire and that I dream about. And, uh, you know, and as I expose that to you, you know, there's a chance you could trample on those things. Mm-hmm. So please tread softly because, you know, these are my dreams. These are, these are the things that, you know, that that make up who I am, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just always thought it was a really dope saying, but I being poor have only my dreams and I spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly for you tread on my dreams. So... I, being poor, have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly, because you tread on my dreams. I assume you dream, Preston. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. It brings to mind um, a song by um, the Neville Brothers, man. You know, um... Um, I don't know much, but I know I love you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That may be all I need to know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aaron Neville and uh, Linda Ronstadt. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Look at this man. <laughs> <laughs> he had that hummingbird vibrato, yo. <laughs> yeah, yo. Yeah, yo. Dude's built like a tank, yo, like 300 pounds, Oh, yo. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. For sure. All right, so another tough category in terms of putting something in your time capsule it's going to be one piece of art created by another artist. So it's not something that you created, but it's one piece of art. Right. Not a book. Oof. Not a series of paintings. Right. Not, you know, none of that. It's just one piece of art. Yeah. That, you know, your your distant, you know, relative 200 years from now will be able to say, okay, this is what Dwight was into. This is what he was all about. And you've already mentioned, uh, was it Serpieri earlier? Yeah, Serpieri. Yeah, yeah. Morbius Gravius. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is not too far off base, but it, but it's it's also, um, it's it's uh, somebody which I have an affinity for that I've always cared about and not had an opportunity to meet. It was um, Mr. Bernie Wrightson, yo. 
Mm. And that, <clears throat> that one piece, man, of Frankenstein in the lab, choking Victor Frankenstein with it, with it in, 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 his, in his lab oh, coat, shaking the lab. Oh, my God. Sir. Oh, my God. If ever there was someone who could be referred to as the truth. Yes. It was Bernie Wrightson and those Frankenstein. Uh, uh, yes, plates. Yeah, oh, my images. God. That was the truth, sir. Yes. That was the truth. Of, that was the motherfucking truth. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, it's the, 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 the labor. That he, and when he did it, man, the fact that he did it with... The way, the way, the way I've heard the story being told, and I think he might refer to it, they might have asked him too at the time when we interviewed him, was that he did this as a labor of love. He, was, he, he wanted to publish, but he was going to publish it his way. He was going to publish it through 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 Marvel through DC or else wanted to buy it. He did it the way he wanted to do it, so that it maintained the veracity of what he where he was going with the, with the imagery as well as the story. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and it shows in every single friggin' plate panel that he did. It was luscious, but that one particular plate, that one panel where he, yeah, that those those all those various all the it wasn't it wasn't just the it wasn't just the emotion that was on on Franken, Frankenstein monster's face. It was, it was Victor, like, 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 like being being sucked up into the moment, and and, and knowing that he was this, he created this thing that could, could kill him or, or misunderstood him, and that also the all the the accoutrement of 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 the vials and 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 things of all the test tubes and all these things around him that, that made the ambiance that much more believable, incredible, you know, and it just speaks so much to and people will obviously hopefully if they take that out of the, out of the capsule. They'll go back and do. They'll go back and, and, and refer to Mirabai Shelley's book and read it for what it is, and and find out more about who, who Bernie Wrightson was and his incredible legacy of art. So yeah, that that was hard, man, because I was all about Klimt. I was all about um, uh, various other 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 artists that that we both share an affinity for. But if I if I had to scale it down and choose it, it was definitely going to be it's definitely going to be you know Bernie Wrightson, man. Yeah, solid. Yeah gentleman that he was yeah the late bernie wrightson uh former guest on the show and and i remember mm-hmm. when we uh we did we interviewed him at that uh that dragon con that year he did say that you know there were a couple of false starts when he got going with this but once he got his he you know he got his groove yo mm-hmm. he was you know he was gone man and i mean the shit is just breathtaking it's brilliant breathtaking man. to look at if ever if ever there were a magnum opus Early on in his career, when he made it, you know that would be his magnum opus. Yeah, I mean that's where he brought it all home for me. Yeah, you know? I agree. You know, I'm gonna keep it with the studio, bro. You knew I was. Yeah, right. You knew I was. <laughs> I know who it is. I know who it is. Why, man? Yes. <laughs> My piece of art is gonna be the wall by Jeffrey Jones. Yes, yo. Yes, yo. I believe it came out in either 70, I think I believe it was either painted in 78, 79, maybe 80. Okay. And that's the, it's a landscape piece and it's a woman. She's got like a, uh, like a makeshift skirt tied around her waist. She's topless. Gorgeous. We see her from the back. Uh, She's barefoot. She's got maybe some jewelry on. She may have like a, uh, like a crown of flowers on her head. And she's standing mm-hmm. in front of this wall, and the wall is kind of, you know, beat up and and cracked, uh, cracked. Um, mm-hmm. And she's got her hand up, and she's touching it. And one of the things that I like about it is, is you know, the image is ninety percent wall. It's ninety percent not a human. It's ninety percent mm-hmm. not the figure. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, it's, it's Jeffrey Jones. So the figure is just wonderful to, to look at. And his females, in some cases, some of them would really be, you know, um, almost androgynous in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, they would mm-hmm. look almost kind of boyish, you know, really small, you know, girlish breasts, no hips. And then in some cases, they would be more like Frazetta women, which, you know, Frazetta mm-hmm. was a big influence on him early on, as, as Frazetta was with, you know, with many people. Sure. But the, the figure in the wall, you know, she's, you know, she's very, her body's not perfect in any kind of a symmetrical sense. You know, she's got like a little bit of a pot belly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she's standing with her, you know, with her, one of her hips jutted out. But it's just an incredible piece. Um, it's right at a period of time when he was really, really starting to kind of crystallize as a as a painter and an illustrator. And he was he was definitely moving away from illustrator and, and more into like a fine artist and someone who was painting for himself, even though he was doing plenty of commission work at the time. Right. Um, you know, uh, Idol and uh, I Am Age and, and other things oof, oof. Uh, and doing and painting book covers, you know, still. Yeah, man. But I just I love that particular piece. I could have chosen any number of pieces by Jeffrey Jones, who was before before she passed away, was my my favorite living painter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now, you know, it's just, you know, my number one favorite painter of all time. Right. Uh, but that would be the piece I put in the time capsule. It's called The Wall. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Good choice, man. Good choice. Love that. Okay. Last two, two, two categories to consider for your time capsule. Okay. Is a belief that you hold dear. Okay. So what is a a belief that you hold dear that you would put in the time capsule? I try to make it as simple as possible, man. And um, because simplicity is best. Mm-hmm. Is simplicity the, the is best, simplicity best? Simply or the simply easiest. The easiest. <laughs> <laughs> More defense mode. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is not, I mean, this is not uh, sing song or anything like that. It's my own personal belief. So I had to distill it down to um, we all can adapt if we strive to. That's my personal belief the whole year. And, you know, it's overly simplified. It's always simple, but it, it has different layers to it. And it simply means what it says. I mean, it's, but it's, it's hard to do. Like, you know, sometimes it seems like it'd be easier to give up. And some people do give up and some people give up by in various ways, mm-hmm. whether it's um, not only having a passion to commit to the things which they, which gave them the drive and gave them the passion from the very beginning, or if it's sinking into some kind of prescriptive or, or, or mind altering, you know, uh, libation, mm-hmm. or if it's, um, Simply just getting kicked down and beat down, man. I mean, it's this life is rough, man, and it's it's hard, and it's 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 there's no guarantees of any of this shit. And but man, if you just stay the course, man, and you just you just I mean, you just keep moving forward day by day, and 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 trying to get the most out of life and and, and the zest of it, it still exists on the brim. It may not seem like as may may not seem as perfect or as luscious as it once did, but man, it's still there, dude. And, um, you know, you have to just keep, keep striving, you know, keep striving, keep pushing. Um, you know, that's, that's become my credo, you know, um, you know, ever since before my mom passed, um, you know, uh, I, 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 I still have, you know, believing in the ability to adapt 
is 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 my thing. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to you have to take the good with the bad, sir. And you, you have to to just continue to to pivot. people these days call it call it pivoting. Right, <laughs> right, right, pivot. right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pivot to the left or pivot to the right. Right. You know, stay focused, but pivot. You know, and you know, it, it just sums all all the things that, that I I mentioned earlier up into a nice little bow, um, with the Yoda sings and the Star Wars and 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 everything else I kind of believe in. Um, it, it should be crystalline for the person that they'll, they'll pick this up for me now. So, oh, this guy, this guy is is very simple, and 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 just very kind of um, hopeful, and I think that's in the future. Which will leave for people most is is hope, you know. Even as we deal with um, people's tyrannical issues and, and natures now in this world, um, it's just crazy. In twenty twenty two, we're on the cusp of a, a very possible World War Three, you know. Uh, so it's just crazy. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That, that, the one thing I thought about when you said that yo was. Uh... Keep on rising to the top. Give it all you got. Right. Give it all you got. Ain't no stepping. Give it all you got. Give it all you got. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it. But yeah, I, I about thought you, about man. that. For me, man, I'm going to say a belief that I hold dear is that the truth is a scary thing. Mm. Uh, mm. We say we want the truth, but if we really got it, it would knock us on our asses. Mm. Uh, so I think we oftentimes hide from the truth or or we mm. paint it a different color in hopes that it won't be quite as scary. Mm. But the truth is really a scary thing. And there's a, a stand-up comic named Ali Wong. You know, she says, clarity is kindness. Mm-hmm. Despite how much it may hurt another person, clarity is kindness. Mm. And, I, you know, I think there are a lot of people, you know, a lot of times we walk through this life with blinders on and trying to avoid what's in front of us and what's, you know, what may be inevitable. Mm. And that's unfortunate, you know, but, mm. uh, I saw a, uh, someone posted a, uh, uh, it, it was either on TikTok or on IG on the gram. Uh, but this woman said that she said, when I was 18, I got a $75 tattoo that later on in my life I hated. Mm. Mm-hmm. So she she paid to have the tattoo removed, and she said it took like ten tries, and it all cost her fifteen hundred dollars to remove this tattoo. And she said, you know that um, what it taught her was is that it's always more expensive to try to fix a problem than it is to just avoid it altogether. Mm. You know, fixing something is always more expensive and more you know, uh, painful than just avoiding it altogether and avoiding it altogether would have been, you know, kind of like being truthful with yourself about, you know, what you're doing and why you're doing it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. What are you doing and why are you really doing it? Okay. I know what you mm-hmm. say why you're doing it, but why are you really doing it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but anyway, I think it's that ultimately that goes back to, like I said, the truth is a, uh, is a scary thing. Mm. So, uh, last category. This is this is an easy one in a way, and then uh, although it may be difficult for you, I don't know. You tell me. No, I mean it's it's, it, but it may not be. I mean it's it's a combination of things. Like it's 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 a combination of things for me. So because I, I was I was vacillating back and forth between the obvious answer, mm-hmm. and then one that maybe what maybe maybe I know either one of them can be kind of obvious for me. I mean because it's like it's one that I don't take for granted, but I'm pushing beyond in a lot of ways and then other is other is is a thing which 
you know, are, is aspira- aspirational, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, but but also very much a current part of my life. So okay, so so the last category is is that you would put in your in your time capsule would be is something that you created. Mm-hmm. And it could be, you know, it could be art, it could be a song, it could be a poem, it could be a journal entry, it could be a podcast, you know, like this one. It could be anything that you created. Uh, uh, and it doesn't have to be a solo creation. It could be something you collaborated with others on because, you know, a lot of creation is collaboration. So, Right, right. So what you what'd you come up with? Man, well, oh. <laughs> I mean... It's it's not what you. I mean, it probably is. What you, well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Spill it. <laughs> as proud as I am of of what we created as far as the Cyborg Podcast goes, mm-hmm. it is not the thing which I'll put in the pod, put by itself inside of the the crypt that would be the time capsule. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still on a journey from from from, from a creation perspective. Um, with my own stories and things like that. So, but my stories very much encompass what we created together in Sidebar uh, with Adrian as well. So those things are all encapsulated inside of something that that I take a personal responsibility for and and direct towards my own um, future works. So it's a thing I call um, the Broach Fluidica. And... Basically, it's it's um, it's a it's an, it encompasses all my narrative works and my 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 in both forms and, and written and and drawn form, mm-hmm. um, sculptures, three D, audio, video, all those things into one in, in one volume, um, and it's 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 incredible. I'm getting closer and closer now to completing a, one of the first chapters in that thing. Um, and it feels good. Um, and it feels ready for prime time. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a little verbose. So I, I'll spare the, I'll spell the, the verbiage, but because, um, you know, I have a tendency to do that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I should say it's, 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 the, it's the brooch fluidica. And it's, it goes inside the capsule. It's got it's got my, my art in it. It's got the stories in it, narrative-driven stories, and it's got the the stuff that supports it inside of it. Mm-hmm. And it's um, a nice little encapsulation of, encapsulation of who I am as a, as a as a creative and a person in a lot of ways. You know, mm. there's a couple things which I have to talk to you about and Adrian as well. That's going to be interesting that you're going to get your vibe on. Okay, hopefully. <laughs> okay, you're like what? Like what the hell? Who said you could do that? <laughs> nah, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be cool. It'll be cool because uh, you, you're very, you're very open to things and expression. So, but yeah, that's 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 it. It's a compendium of all my stories, art, and sketch sketches to finish. And um, yeah, so and what's it called? The Brooch Fluidica. The Brooch Fluidica. What now? What does the 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 name mean? The meaning is um, it's uh, well, it's double double entendre. Um, it's, you know, a brooch is a, is a, is a pendant, which people wear, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's very much an ornamentation piece that people like to wear. And it means something. It usually has some kind of family, um, generational mm-hmm. wealth and, mm-hmm. and, and imbuement to it. Um, but it's also an approach to something 
and and how you and how you you tend to to approach a subject or topic or ideals as as in broaching a subject literally as approaching a subject right mm-hmm. and then fluidica is simply a matter of the matter which fills it and the things which go through it and the things which allow people to embrace it and that the ideals are also fluid and constantly changing and growing and expanding and contracting according to whether they're heated by temperature or cooled by temperature so it's a fluid motion back and forth inside of this brooch that makes it you know makes it what it is okay i like that man i like that a lot thanks man yeah thanks, i like man. that an awful lot thanks it's been around for years too man that's that's uh, this has been that, going on for 20 plus years man that's one that you've had for a while yeah 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 it's it's been, it's been a compendium for a long time so okay and you uh, at first, uh, you know, I, I thought to say, you know, I could say something like, you know, my daughter, my kid, but you know, that would be corny. <laughs> no, it, it wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, it's just very corny. Expect, oh, my child is the greatest thing I put in the world. Really, you procreated like half the planet. Really, like almost every every animal on the planet, you 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 spit out a kid. Okay, right, an offspring, right. whatever. It's not impressive. Uh, it's a biological function. Well, Get over yourself. Right. <laughs> And then I thought, too, about, you know, as far as sidebar, the podcast goes, because but, you know, that's that's closer to me in terms of immediate, you know, in the last decade. You know, those are things that I've done in the last decade and seen its effect out in the world. And, and, and that's been, yeah. you know, that's been uh, pleasing and, and, uh, and rewarding in its own way. But I think if I had to say I would what one thing I would put in the time capsule would probably be uh, the music that uh, Brian and I. Uh, uh, wrote and produced for Ovid. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I concur. That's probably it for me. Um, yeah. You know, those songs and that particular time <sighs> in my life, in terms of uh, creatively speaking, I was probably the most creatively free, the most uh, unburdened by, you know, kind of mental hangups and mm-hmm. blockages and second guessing. Um, you know, working with another person to a point where it almost felt like we were one person mm-hmm. uh, working together uh, to to create what you know what we did. You know, and those songs, you know, Journey to You and Nine and uh, Murder and the Reformation. Summer, Summer in the Snow, sir. Yeah, yeah, all all those. Men. Summer in the Snow and um, <sighs> you know, just all of it. You know, uh, done on a shoestring budget with you know minimal. You know, minimal uh, uh, technology in terms of you know recording and. Um, but it's so, but it's so, it's so epic, man. It's so epic, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a in school. I told you this, man. This is no no lie, man. In school, I did a I did a I did a presentation based on Ovid's uh, music, 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 man. So I was able to take. I broke down each one of the songs. Really, I don't I remember that. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I broke down each one of the songs, and I and I I, I took a I made small individual illustrations. Like radical illustrations based on each one of the songs, dude. With, with some of the words integrated into it. Wow, I didn't realize that, man. Yeah, man. That's super flattering. <laughs> yeah, man. That's that's how that's how that's how awesome it was, man. Yeah, it still is. I mean, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, I guess that was recorded maybe between 1993 and 1994, uh, more on than off. But that's probably the one thing creatively where I. I you know, I, I feel like that, you know, represents me and, you know, all of my interests and all of the things that excite me and all of the things that, um, you know, that make me come alive as, as a creative person. And, uh, mm-hmm. 
uh, and it came out in, in those in those recordings. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.